Well, hello everyone, and welcome to People in Passion, Conversations with Immersa Members, a project of the ATTC Network. This podcast series is brought to you by the ATTC, the Addiction Technology Transfer Center, National Coordinating Office, and Immersa, the Association for Multidisciplinary Education and Research in Substance Use and Addiction. I'm your host, Doreen Bader, the Executive Director of Immersa. Well, this week, we're quite pleased to welcome the legendary Dr. Marianne Marcus in conversation with Dr. Sid Schnoll to discuss her experiences and expertise in the field of substance use and to walk us through her long and winding Immersa journey. Dr. Marcus is a professor emerita from the University of Texas Health Science Center School of Nursing. She has served 34 years on the faculty. She has taught both at the undergraduate and graduate levels and focused her teaching on substance use disorder. She integrated substance use content throughout the curricula and created a graduate specialty. Her research is related to mindfulness-based stress reduction as a component of addiction treatment. Dr. Schnall was a career teacher at the University of Pennsylvania and a founding member of Immersa. He has spent over 50 years working in the fields of substance use disorders and pain management as an educator and a researcher. Dr. Marcus and Dr. Schnoll, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. And you know, I'm just realizing it. Collectively, you both bring almost 100 years of experience. Welcome. Don't remind us of that. <laughs> That's not fair. Not fair. <laughs> Uh, but I'm very pleased to be here uh, and to get to talk with Marion uh, this way. I'm not sure when's the last time we had the opportunity to just talk about uh, your career. Um, and it just occurred to me that when you started, and certainly I started, um, there wasn't a lot going on uh, in substance use disorders. Um, and how did you come to get started? What were the things that uh, got you interested uh, in the field? Well, in the, I, I began, I came to uh, Texas uh, in uh, 1980 and began working at the School of Nursing, University of Texas School of Nursing at the Health Sciences Center. And I, we got a request from the president of a program a recovery program, a clinic called Senecor, was a residential treatment facility using a therapeutic community methodology. And they asked, do you have a, a faculty member who would come and open a clinic and do physicals and take care of minor things? Because every time we send somebody to the hospital, they abscond or they tend to leave our program. So if we could treat these things in our facility, that would be so helpful. Well, I, I jumped at that chance because I thought here I could take students, they could learn to do physicals. And we did that. We opened a clinic and they were in a large hotel downtown Houston. And that's one of the things that got started. But I realized that although I could do the histories and physicals and take care of the minor problems with my students, I did not know why they were there. I did not know anything about substance abuse at that particular point. And at the same time, if I'm getting too long-winded, let me know. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> when at the same time, 
I was getting working doing research for my doctoral dissertation, which was uh, in education. And what I was doing was looking at various practice settings and then ask after I followed the nurses around for an eight hour shift, how did you learn to do this? How did you learn to do that? In other words, what was the education like for them? And at that point, um, I was in a surgical intensive care unit and we had a, in a hospital here and we had a number of patients who were there as a result of having had some kind of substance use problem. And one of the nurses said to me, you know, these folks are brought here by the Clydesdales and Jack Daniels. I said, what do you mean? Oh, alcohol stuff. And I said, well, what are you doing about that part? Well, that's not my job. I'm just here to treat the acute problem and keep them alive. And I said, well, who treats the alcohol problem? Well, that's not my job. So these things kind of all came together that I didn't know anything about treating alcohol and drug abuse in my practice, nor did a lot of other nurses apparently. So that's kind of how it got started. And then uh, we had a consultation from Eleanor Sullivan, who at the time was Dean of the School of Nursing in Kansas. And I was asked to take her to the airport. And I told her when she was finished with the consultation, I told her about my frustrations about the substance use lack of knowledge. And she said, you need to go to MRSA. I said, what's that? She said, that's a multidisciplinary organization and you need to go to their meetings. And that's how it all started. Wow. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm glad she told you that. Yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> and there I was. was great advice for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you mentioned that you didn't know a lot, but as you were moving things forward, um, what were the biggest challenges that you ran into? Um, there must have been some roadblocks. Uh, because for many of us in the field, it wasn't an easy um, move forward. Uh, there were two steps forward and often five steps backwards right, right. as we tried to move things. So how, how did things move for you? Well, I think the, the, one of the main problems was uh, the problem of stig stigmatization. Every time I tried to sort of get things going, I think people lack the knowledge and recognition or acceptance of addictions as a chronic brain disease. And they were just talking about Mary Ann's druggies. And, and this was from my own faculty. They didn't really understand the disease. And to me, that was a very big challenge, trying to overcome that and, and to uh, have people accept that it was, a, it was a brain disease and that it was a chronic relapsing but treatable brain disease. And, and what were some of the things you did to overcome some of those challenges? Well, I had, um, one of the things I did was have an elective uh, course that I taught and I taught with the School of Public Health and with the School of Medicine. And we all got together and offered an elective which would count in, in any of those schools. And we had people come in who were in recovery and talk about their experience and so forth and so on. But we also, integrated the content in our curricula, in our various curricula across the Health Sciences Center. And how easy was that? Uh, I remember when I tried to get courses into the curriculum, uh, I often ran into a brick wall. How did you? No, we, uh, yeah, we had the same problem. The, one of the things that I did, which seemed to be helpful, was to say that I would come and teach it myself. I would teach it. 
So I volunteered to go and do the teaching and that, that seemed to help. And what about time in the curriculum? Uh, every time uh, you add something, somebody has something subtracted. Uh, yeah. How did you overcome that? Well, we, we had the same problem that it was, you know, we, we could get it in, we could get it in very nicely in the psych mental health course that was welcomed there. But when I wanted to be, have it in pediatrics and adolescents and so forth, then I had more difficulty, but people finally, you know, saw the, the need for it. And uh, we developed a center for substance abuse education in the school of nursing. And several of us were housed in that center and we were available to teach in the courses across the curriculum. Wow, that's, that's great. Uh, um, getting centers started often is very, very difficult. And, you know, that certainly is one of your uh, great contributions, getting that started. But what are some of the other contributions uh, that you've made uh, to the field uh, of which you're proud? Uh, I know there are many, but which ones sort of stand out for you? Oh, <laughs> oh goodness. Um, well, I think develop, uh, developing the curriculum would, would certainly be one. But one of the things that, um, that I've done, which is different, is uh, what's called community-based participatory research. We have an underserved community with, within four miles of the medical center. And I have gone in there with the students, worked with the community, the pastor of the church, the principal of the grammar school, and set up a program for the seniors who are in the church. It's all females who can come into the school and work with the student, elementary students, teaching them how to eat, how to, uh, we actually planted a garden there, but also substance abuse prevention and all of those things, all of how to, how to behave and, and, and a, a number of things. And I, I'm very pleased with that. It's, it's called Project SMART. And uh, I think some of it is still happening there. It's St. Mary's Academic Research Project. And that's, to me, that's one of the things I'm proud of that is not well known. Yeah, that's getting the community involved uh, in this problem is very, very important, certainly in terms of uh, prevention as well as, as treatment. Um, and have you found that a lot of your students have continued in the field? So, oh yeah, several of them I know. And when two of them that are on the faculty now that are continuing to teach this. Uh, so I, I'm pleased with that. I know that it's, it's being carried forward. And they're continuing to do some research, both, I think, with adolescents at this point. They did it for their doctoral dissertations, and now they're continuing with that research. The other thing that I'm really pleased, I just found out yesterday that um, my research assistant, Deidre Carroll, someone who I hired to work with me early on, has now been, she's finished her, she got her doctorate at Rice Institute, Rice University, which is here in Houston. And she has now been hired by the School of Nursing to do research. And guess what? She's doing research in this area too. So I'm very pleased about that. So you've left a legacy, which is uh, yeah, very, so. very important. Um, in, in looking over your CV, uh, there are just so many awards uh, 
that you've gotten uh, and certainly well-deserved, but um, can you maybe go over some of the things you've done um, that did not necessarily result in awards uh, that of which you're proud, Young, you mentioned this community involvement, but what about other things uh, that you've done? Well, I, I think, uh... I, th I think that, that you know, Project Smart is certainly one thing, but also my research uh, most recently has been in mindfulness and adding mindfulness to the therapeutic community curriculum, uh, which was not an easy project, but I did get an R01. And, and that was not many people in our school of nursing have had the R01. Uh, and, and so I think that was something I was, I'm very proud of. You still have that R01 or? Finished it. We finished it. Yeah, a couple. Of and what did you find? What What were the results? Well, we found that uh, we did a historical control study because, in a therapeutic community, as you probably know, everybody's in everybody else's face, and they're all watching everybody else's behavior. And they didn't even have counselors there when I first started in the 1980s, but now they do have. What I found was, with the first year, we studied their stress levels and their tendency to leave uh, without any intervention. The second year we added mindfulness to the orientation phase of the program. And we found that those individuals tended to stay longer and to be more satisfied with the program, which was, it gave them a tool. Were you able to look at uh, long-term outcome of some of these people? Uh, no, we have not. Okay. But that's a good idea. <laughs> Another R01. Oh, yeah. Well, you keep the research going. That, uh, that keeps, keeps us. I, I retired, you know. <laughs> well, retirement uh, often leads to other kinds of activities. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when you think back uh, over your career, um, I'm sure you had many people from whom you learned a lot, uh, but who were your mentors and uh, what, what did they you know, provide for you uh, as you were developing your career? Well, I think um, a lot of the mentorship came when I started going to Immersa because there all of a sudden I found people who had the same desire that I did to become better at taking care of patients who had substance use disorders. And yet we didn't have necessarily all the answers. So we were able to work together and people like David Lewis, uh, there was uh, Mary Hack, a nurse. There were other nurses on the program as well in the program. And I think working together, the other thing I learned was the, the value of the multidisciplinary collaboration to get different ideas about it. The other important mentors were the people in recovery. And I learned a lot. I did a study, a small um, qualitative study and asking people how they processed through the therapeutic community. And they came up with the steps, how they got in there, what's the, how they rejected the idea at first. And, how they, and I called this study changing careers because one of the guys told me, he said, you know, to be an addict is work. That's your career, getting the money, stealing this, doing that. He said, that's a job. He said, then you change careers and you want to get sober. 
So he said, I think it's like changing careers from being an addict to being a sober person. And I, I really thought that he was a very good mentor to me because he explained what he had been through in that program. Yeah, you know, when you said that, it reminded me, uh, I don't know if you knew Ed Sinai uh, from Chicago. He ran the uh, Illinois State Program after Jerry Jaffe left. And he actually wrote a book called Addict Careers. Uh, called, what was he called? Addict Careers. Uh, oh, at, yes. Okay. And it, it was, you know, very interesting because he pointed out the same thing. It isn't easy uh, to have be a person with substance use disorder. Uh, you have to work hard. You have to get your drug. You have to do all sorts of things. And it's uh, there are no holidays, uh, no weekends. Uh, it's a full time, twenty four seven job. Uh, and uh, I think the fact that that person said that to you uh, is very important. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've had a long history with Immersa and you've talked a bit about that, but um, you've also had a uh, connection with McGovern. You won the McGovern Award Oh, yeah. Immersa and you won it uh, at the university. And, um, what, what's been your connection uh, with McGovern? Well, again, that started because of Immersa. I, I was, uh, I, I guess David Lewis knew or talked to uh, McGovern who was supportive of Immersa. And David at one point said, you know, Dr. McGovern, there's somebody in Houston who's doing this work and she's right down there. And he said, who is that? And I, he mentioned my name. So I got a call from McGovern's office and they said they wanted me to come and visit with him. He wanted to talk to me about my work and addictions. So I set up the appointment and I went and he asked me and he, I remember so vividly, he told me to sit on the couch. He had to sit in the chair because he had to keep his legs up or something. But we were in his apartment near Herman Park. And he said, now tell me how you got involved. And I told him what I just told you about being invited to the therapeutic community and to set up a clinic. And he said, okay, and, and, and what are you doing now? And I told him, he said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna set up a professorship for you and that will give you more support so you can continue to do these things. But he said, I'm gonna watch you. I can see you across the park <laughs> and I'm gonna see what you're doing and follow you to see what, see what you're doing. Well, I almost fell off the couch. I was just so startled by, by all this generosity. So he did do that. And several weeks later, we were traveling. We were, we went and my husband had a meeting in Turkey and we got a call from a governor's office. And he said, what am I gonna name this? And I said, well, maybe you should call it professorship in behavioral health. He said, no, it is going to be addictions nursing. <laughs> I want it to be addictions nursing. I said, that sounds fine. So when I got back from the visit to Turkey, this was in place and eventually it went up and gained enough money. So it was a distinguished professorship in addictions nursing. And I think it was the only one in the country at that time. I don't know. It, it may have been, there weren't a lot of endowed uh, chairs in addictions. Uh, I think at that time. And, yeah. And every, 
time he did something in the community, like he he did some things to support the park and all this. I went to every occasion and he always acknowledged me and was very generous about his praise. I mean, I, I'm just curious, who holds that chair now? You know? That, uh, that is something that I have to work on. <laughs> Somebody else does hold it, but not someone who's doing addictions. And it's not called addictions, it's just called the McGovern Endowed Professorship. So I am going to have to, um, and I'm not, I don't know whether Catherine, Catherine McGovern is still alive and, and I don't know whether she was consulted on that, but I'm, it, this is confidential, but, but I'm eager to go in and see that it gets back because we do have people doing work in addictions at the School of Nursing, but not the person who holds that endowed professorship. Yeah, it would be important. And I think, uh, unfortunately, that sort of demonstrates uh, the attitude that may exist yeah. uh, around the issues of addiction. They, they remove that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember one time getting a large grant. It was the largest grant the university had ever gotten. And I went to the president of the university. And I said, we should make a big deal about this. He said, no, I don't want our university to be known as a place that deals with addiction. Yeah. I mean. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, really, really very sad. But um, now I have to ask you what I think is, to me, the most important question here. Every year, you bring fetishes to <laughs> the immersive meeting for the auction. Uh, and as you know, the auction um, is one of the areas that provides a lot of support to the organization. What, what started you uh, with the fetishes? And, uh, can you give us the story here? I'm, I'm very curious to find out uh, <laughs> about this. You are talking, yes. Well, we, our family goes, or has, has been until recently, gone to New Mexico every summer we rent a house, usually the same house, in uh, Taos, New Mexico, and we have a week of vacation there with the family. And so one of the things that I have loved about being in a Native American culture were these little fetishes made by the Zuni at the Zuni Pueblo. And so I, I have been collecting them. I have, I don't know how many, but I have a very large number of fetishes. And so when I was trying to think of something to take to the Immersa auction, I thought, gee, maybe people would enjoy having that too. So every year I've tried to bring at least four or five fetishes to the uh, auction. Well, you've inspired Gail D'Onofrio. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, she, yeah, she buys them almost sight unseen, I think, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'd like to see what her house looks like with all the fetishes <laughs> uh, uh, in it. So, um, you know, what could you just give us some other uh, important things that you felt you contributed um, to the field? I know we sort of asked this question before, but you know, you've just inspired so many nurses uh, to work in the field, and I think uh, for a long time there wasn't. Uh, a role that people felt for nurses. It was sort of counselors and then uh, physicians who uh, 
oversee some of the program, uh, but it was the counselors who ran it, often people in recovery. Um, and so how did you get the nursing role involved and how did you see that develop? Well, I'm actually, it's interesting because I just recently came across a paper that was that came out in uh, the archives of psychiatric nursing in 2020. And it was talking about accelerating the gains made to address the uh, continuum of substance use. And I think what it, what it says is that, yes, we've done a lot, but we still have a lot more to do. So, I, and these, the authors of this paper are people in Immersa. And I feel, you know, it's that it's important that, um, that I was responsible maybe for getting the nursing role more active at Immersa. And then these other individuals, it's Matt Tierney from San Francisco, Deb Fennell, Madeline Nagel, Ann Mitchell, and Elizabeth Pace. And these are all people that I know have been to Immersa. So I think that my role has been to get the, um, the nursing profession more involved to, um, I would like to believe that every nurse would be comfortable doing screening, brief intervention and referral to treatment. Every nurse as just a part of their regular treatment of any patient, any place that they all would know how to screen and do that. So that, I think that's what I've contributed. Is that, is that answering your question? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, your answer is important. <laughs> Um, so recently, as you know, there's been a, a change in allowing advanced practice nurses uh, to prescribe buprenorphine. Um, yeah. Could you tell us uh, about that? Uh, I don't know if you were instrumental in that, but how you feel that has changed the field? Well, I think that's, I know, I don't, don't believe I was instrumental in that. And some states are still having difficulty doing that. But I think that this is important that the, the nurse practitioner or in, in any kind of primary care clinic would be able to do just that. Uh, you wouldn't, if you were, if you came, had a patient who had diabetes, you wouldn't particularly send them to an endocrinologist. You could manage the initial steps that you'd need to get them. To, and I think we should be able to do that with the substance use as well. We also have people who are um, practicing at the nurse practitioner level who have specialized in this. And I think that's important. So generalists and specialists in, in nursing profession. It, it's really exciting uh, as someone who sort of started in this field a long time ago when nobody wanted to be involved. Right. Uh, and seeing how this has developed uh, and seeing your your contributions and certainly seeing how uh, it has enhanced Immersa over the years and that's been very critical. Um, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to tell us uh, about what you've done? Well, I think one, one of the other things that's really enhanced my career was uh, working with Rich Brown on Project Mainstream. And that to me was the idea, an ideal project where you could have people from different disciplines working together as interfaculty groups and changing the curriculum in their particular school or setting 
And to me, that, that was very, Project Mainstream was very exciting and it made a very important contribution to my career, as did Rich Brown. He was the associate director. He was the director and I was the associate director. And then last year, I think I was the director, but I think that to me, that was a very exciting project. And I think that could be repeated. You know, that's something that we could probably, some, someone could do again. Yeah, I think uh, in looking, actually, I, I was looking the other day at what's in the, uh, COVID relief bill that just uh, the president just signed. And there is a, a lot of money uh, for substance abuse. Oh, good. In that, in that bill. So I think there may be a lot of new opportunities uh, for people to, uh, to do things that'll be exciting. So, so looking at, at these things, um, what do you see for the future? Uh, where, we, where are we, are we going? What, would you like to see happen over the next five, 10 years? I think I, what I would like to see is that it that is just standardized in every, every health professional education has just standard uh, program or standard curricula that addresses substance use disorders as a brain disease, even as the, and, and not only the patients are referred to treatment rather than being sent to prison, and that you can have a uh, primary care program, and it's just as natural as if it were diabetes or hypertension. And that's what that's what I would like to see. But it also has to be that the treatment is available. You know, if you're going to refer to treatment, there has to be treatment. And I know in our hospital system here, the public health hospitals do not necessarily have treatment. You have to they refer them to the Council on Alcohol and Drug Abuse, uh, but we should have treatment programs within the county hospital. I think we should have prevention education standardized in schools. And I think the credentialing exams for health professionals should all have questions about substance use disorders so that you know you're gonna be asked it, so you have to learn it, right? Um, those are the things that I would like to see and shift the attitude from the nature of substance abuse as being you know, something bad that are people, behavioral bad things, but that is a brain disease and accepting, having that being accepted. Yeah. And you had earlier mentioned that one of the things you're most proud of is the uh, development of the program in the community. How do you see future development of community programs? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking now you're probably familiar with Project Lazarus uh, and what, uh, what they've done. Uh, do you see similar programs developing around the country? Uh, because I think that's sort of the model you created when you uh, went to develop your community. Yeah, I, I would like to see that around so that it's not, you know, I just, we didn't just march in and say, okay, we're going to teach you about drug abuse. We talked about health. And here are all the things you need to do to stay healthy. And that included the substance use. I think embedding it in programs directed to the overall health of the, of the child. And in our case, it was elementary school. And uh, one interesting thing that happened there was that um, in that community, I had there was a, a woman who was, very, she was very much the 
oh, the person in the community who had all the answers. You know, she she lived there, she raised her children there, and she went. She still went into the school to tell them how to run the place, right? So <laughs> she came over and told me that garden that you're planting, it's not in the right place. It's not going to get sun. And she would always come in and have some comment about what we did. So I think finding those community people is is very important. And and, and it turned out that one of the community people was now, and I didn't realize this at the time, was now a vice president for Senecor, which is the program where I worked. And, and when he came to my retirement party and I, he told me that he actually had grown up in that community and he welcomed the ideas that we had to change the behavior in that community. So I don't know if that's answering your question. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is uh, always so exciting uh, when you hear from people whom you've influenced in some way, yeah. uh, I think as teachers, that's that's what we're always looking for. Yeah, yeah. So, I think I've run out of questions here. Oh, good. <laughs> no, I've enjoyed this. Sid. It's been very nice to, to relive the programs that we've worked with and so forth. You know, your, your contributions have been so significant. Uh, and I think uh, not only your contributions to Immersa, as you mentioned, but to your community, to nursing in general, um, it, it's very exciting uh, and very rewarding, I think, to be able to look back over a career and see the important things that you've done. Well, it, it, it certainly made a difference when I went to Immersa, I have to say. You know, I, I, re I realized that I wasn't the only one who was searching for answers, but that there were many people who were even better prepared than I, who were also searching for answers. Immersa has added a tremendous amount to my career. Well, that, that was how the career teacher program got started. Yes, Trying yes. Trying to get yeah. people into it started with medical schools. Uh, and other health profession schools. Um, and the, the group met on a, a regular basis every year uh, because we needed yeah. that camaraderie. Uh, yeah. We were, you know, sort of like salmon trying to swim upstream, but everybody had put dams in front of us and we could get back <laughs> to our spawning sites. Uh, and being able to work uh, at least talk as a group was very important. And uh, it seems that Immersa provided that for you. Yeah, and, and the other thing that was, that I really valued, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, is that I never felt that I was less than. You know, sometimes you go to these big conferences and the doctors are all in charge. You know, the doctors are all the, but here my opinions were valued. I was never, I never felt uh, I, I was going to say never felt stupid. Yeah, I have felt stupid, but I never felt put down. But I was also, my opinions were regarded and were asked for. And I, I thought that was the camaraderie, as you said, was, was very important there. Yeah, and I think, as I said, that started with the career teacher program. Uh, yeah. Continued uh, into Aversa. Uh, and I, as I'm sure you're aware, there are organizations where everybody is fighting with everybody else. Yes. Uh, yes. But that is that's certainly not a MRSA where everybody is 
trying to help everybody. And uh, yes, you have a question, exactly. somebody's there to try to help you with the answer. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I don't think so. I think I've pretty much told you everything um, that I can think of. I think that we still have a way to go to shift the attitudes. Well, yeah, uh, that's, that's very important. Uh, we certainly are having lots of issues uh, in some areas. Uh, you know, we still have the NIMBY issue. We're trying to put treatment programs uh, in place. Uh, and, you know, people say, we don't want those people in our community. Well, they're yep. the people who live in your community. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Thanks, Marion. You you know, it was great having this discussion with you. And uh, well, you've made a lot of contributions. And now we've uh, memorialized them in this podcast. Thank you. It was very nice reliving all those things. Thank you. Thank you both for this excellent podcast and for sharing your experiences and expertise with all of the listeners. That was Immerse's legacy interview with Dr. Marianne Marcus in conversation with Dr. Sid Schnall. To learn more about the ATTC Network and the Association for Multidisciplinary Education and Research in Substance Use and Addiction, please visit our websites at attcnetwork.org and immersa.org. For a transcript of this podcast and other related resources, please visit the ATTC Network website. This podcast is supported by funding from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of HHS or SAMHSA. Information shared and views expressed reflect the speaker's best understanding of science or promising practices at the time of recording and should not be seen as directives. Content related to privacy and security in 42 CFR Part 2 presented during these sessions should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners are directed to discuss recommendations with their agency's legal counsel. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again.